said, I'm the campus minister with Wofford RUF. No matter who you are, no matter what you believe, no matter what you have done, welcome to RUF. We want you to feel welcome here. RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship, and we're one of the many campus ministries here at Wofford College trying to walk alongside you during these formative years at Wofford College to help you grow in your faith. There are other campus ministries. Rev. Ron is doing his thing with the chaplaincy office. Campus outreach meets tomorrow night on Wednesday nights. Ukirk is across the street at Second Prez. Um, the, there's tons of groups. And here, freshmen and sophomores, go to all of them. This is the first normal year with campus ministries. Go to all of them. If you're curious about the differences, because each have their kind of distinctions for sure, go to all of them. They're friends, and we're on the same team in the kingdom, and we'll want to help and serve you. This is RUF. This is what we do every week at large group. So what we do, we open the Bible in RUF because we love the Bible, and we love Jesus and his mercy, and we believe that when we open the scriptures, we have a story about the redemption of the world through Jesus Christ. And in RUF, what we want you to see and experience, both from teaching and in our hospitality ministry, whether you're at our house or a Bible study or meeting with me or Caroline for coffee, is that Jesus loves you. And so we want to love God and love others and love Wofford College. Why? Because we are bound up by the reality that before we do any of that, God loves us in the personal work of Jesus Christ. So we want to be, RUF's not trying to get you to do anything new or to add to your to-do list, but we celebrate what already has been done for us in Jesus. Okay? What we're doing this series in um, the fall with large group, we're just calling it Christ for us. Christ for us. And we're kind of, what we're doing, we're doing kind of a great, greatest hits gospel surveys of different parts of Jesus' life and ministry and asking the question, who is Jesus for us? And what we're going to see tonight is that Jesus is our host. Jesus is our host in the text there in your handout from Luke 14, starting in 15, if you want to, verse 15, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, look in the handout. That's the parable of the great banquet. And we're going to walk through that. Next week is going to be Jesus feeding 5,000 people, and we're going to see Jesus is our shepherd. Then week three, we're going to see Jesus calm a storm with anxiety attack, panic attack level, like grieving disciples on a boat with hurricane level storms. Jesus calms it with one word, and we're going to see that Jesus is our peace. He interacts with a woman at, a woman at the well who had all kinds of issues and was known essentially as a, as a sexual and social outcast. And we're going to see Jesus engage her. We're going to see that Jesus is our lover. So who is Christ for us? Tonight, he's Christ, our host. That's what we're going to do. So my friend Jordan, maybe my best friend from grad school, tells this story about going to the Masters Golf Tournament for the first time in his life. And my friend Jordan, who's an RUF campus minister at Texas, loves golf. And if you've been to the Masters, you know it's this giant golf party. This giant golf party. And Jordan describes this experience of pulling up to Augusta National, parking the car, getting out, and being in awe of walking around and seeing how beautiful and lush all the greens were and how green and like precise and just the the meticulous care and labor that went into them to make Augusta National the beautiful place that it is and the flowers and the buildings and then the magical green jackets walking around and the talent of the players putting and chipping and driving and Jordan is like I could pinch myself 
I am at the master's. I feel so special. But that feeling of being special wore off for Jordan because here's what he noticed. He started walking around and he started seeing these special cabins with special green jacket wearing men inside of those cabins drinking special cocktail drinks that no one else has access to, eating a specific menu that no one else had. And so the feeling of being so special at the Masters wore off very quickly for Jordan because here's the deal. The giant party that is the Masters, it's not for everybody. It's actually not. The green jacket folks actually have access to fun and joy and pleasure at the Masters that only they have access to. Jordan loves it. He's gone back every year, but he wasn't so special. I can't think of another season of life than the college years where you are more concerned and consumed by parties. Parties. Not just parties. Who's invited? How you get in? And why there's a party in the first place? Jesus loves parties. God loves parties. Jesus, if you might know this, he was at weddings all the time, turning water into wine. Jesus had real friends. He got invited to weddings. Jesus is actually at a wedding telling this story. Why? He's actually at a wedding. He wants to meet people on their own terms, telling these short parable stories about letting people in on mercy and judgment and kingdom and grace. But secondly, one of the most primary images of the Bible to describe eternal life and salvation is a giant cosmic wedding party, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where Jesus will marry his church. The Bible is a wedding story. The Bible's a party story. But here's what we're going to see. God's parties are not like our parties. Thankfully. And they're not like our parties on who's invited, how you get in, and why there's a party in the first place. Let's read the passage and we're going to walk through it. Can someone give me your handout? I don't have a Bible on me right now. Pastor without a Bible. Yeah. You can trust me. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> Friends, this is God's word. He has spoken to us. He's not silent. He's spoken to us not to give us a theology exam to ace. He hasn't spoken to us to give us a book of rules to follow. He's spoken to you and to me tonight because he loves us. When one of those who reclined at table with him, with Jesus, heard these things, he said to him, Jesus tells the story, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Verse 16, But he said to him, A man once gave a, bread, a great banquet, and invited many. And at the time for the banquet he sent, his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, everything is now ready. And they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field. I must go and see to it. Please have me excused. Our next guy. Lord, we are grateful that you have spoken to us and your word is living and active. We know that's true because you are living and active. But Lord, we walk in here in all kinds of different situations with longings and insecurities and distractions about this semester and sin and shame and doubt. You know us inside and out. So I do ask by your spirit, you would slow us down that we would see beautiful things from your word and ultimately beautiful things from Jesus himself. And we ask it in his name. Amen. 
Who's invited? Who's invited? How you get in? Why there's a party in the first place? Let's do the first one. Who is invited? So at our parties, we only invite some. At our parties, if we're honest, we only invite some. And here's what we see. When you're invited to a party, one of your gut reactions, whether you say it out loud because you have the courage to do so, or you're thinking of it instinctively in your head, hey, you want to go to this thing that night or whatever at my house or that restaurant? Here's the response. Who's going to be there? Who's going to be there, right? So what we're saying when we say that response is we only want to go to the party if the elite folks are there, however you define elite. If there's anyone we're allergic to at the party, we want no part. That's what we're saying with that question. Who's going to be there? Who's going to be there? I say that, you say that. At our parties, we prefer the who's who. Like we have a specific kind of roster in our minds for who and what is a good time. Corners of campus, that's a good time. Corners of campus, that is not a good time. Certain corners of this town, certain corners of this country. But when God throws a party, he invites all. That's what we see in this parable. When God throws a party, he invites all. Notice who he invites in verse 21. I want the text in front of you. So look at verse 21. The master of the house became angry, said to his servants, here's the invitation, go out quickly to the streets, lanes of the city, bring the poor and crippled, blind and lame. There's still room, he says, verse 23. No, 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 no. You didn't hit those spots. I want everybody. I want everybody. You didn't hit that spot. I want everybody. Not who you think should be here. Not who's on your running list. Keep going. I want everybody. The God of the Bible, this isn't isolated to this, this passage. The God of the Bible is actually a God who longs to gather a people from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. That's why when God commissioned Adam and Eve for the, the, the great um, the cultural mandate, basically, love God, love your neighbor, spread Eden as far as the eye can see. Why? So that the whole world will taste and see that I'm good like you have in the garden. Go everywhere, everywhere with it. And that's why when he called Abraham, and he called Abraham to do what? To be a blessing. To who? To the whole world, all nations. And he always was trying to get Israel, his covenant people, back to that original purpose. All peoples everywhere filled with the glory of God. God invites all to his feast, all to his party. And this is what we see in Isaiah 25. Check this out. Just just receive this. You don't have to look it up. On this mountain, this Isaiah, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of fine food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that's cast over who? All peoples. The veil that is spread over who? All nations. He will swallow up death forever. He will wipe away whose tears? All tears. Everywhere. That's where he wants his glory. When God throws a party, he wants everybody. All. And that's why, again, primary image of the Bible in the Revelation 21 and 22. 
the cosmic marriage supper of the Lamb wedding reception, where we will be around a table with Jesus himself. That's why we're going to sing this song called We Will Feast in the House of Zion, and we never will stop singing it in RUF as long as we're here, because it is a cosmic party that we're trying to get caught up in and get in on now. That it's not here. We can feast now, okay? So that's who's invited. How do you get in? How do you get in? Now, at our parties, you get in based on your merit, your qualifications, your resume, and your accolades. Country clubs, this is how it works. Your fraternities, this is how it works. Your sororities, and this is how it works. All the student organizations. Build a case. Show me what you bring to the table. That's how it works. That is life in a fallen world. And so you get in based on your qualifications by being wealthy enough, smart enough, attractive enough, spiritual enough, theological enough, missional enough, southern enough, white enough, woke enough, Republican enough. That's how you get in with our parties. And we actually apply this kind of merit resume building logic to our relationship with God. So here's how this goes. What can I bring to the table and show God my resume? Then I can feast with him. Because God is not a yearning host. He's like this angry, emotionally distant father who's like watching ESPN but won't make eye contact with you. And you have to like show him your report card. And if you didn't get all A's, he like doesn't want to look you in the eye or give you the time of day. And we oftentimes think that God relates to us that way. Show me a resume, then I'll be reconciled with God. Show me a resume, then I will grow in my Christian life with God. Show me a resume, and he'll clean me up from what I'm doing on the weekends and these habits that I cannot shake. That's what we do. That's what I do. But here's the deal. We get in on our parties, and we ask others to get into our parties based on qualifications and achievements. God says you get on his feast by simply wanting to be with him. You just got to, like, do you want to be at the party? Are you hungry? Are you lonely? Are you homeless? Are you thirsty? All you got to do is be needy and want to be with the host. That's it. No strings attached. No strings attached. It's that simple. It's that simple. Notice there's two groups of people one folks, one group of people start making excuses why they don't want to come, and the other people do go. But this author, Kenneth Bailey, who is a missionary in other countries, also a Presbyterian minister, here's what he says about all these excuses. He says they're all lame, and when you study the historical context in the first century, they're all lame for very specific reasons. So just roll with me for a second. Here's what he says about in verse 18, if you look here. Here's our first guy. I bought a field. I got to go out and see the field. Have an excuse. Here's what Bailey says. It's a lame excuse because in Jesus' day, you would never buy real estate without going to look at it first. And so this is lame in the same way. It's like, I bought a house on Zillow that I have not gone and looked at with no real estate agent. Like, I haven't looked at the property. I don't even know what part of town. No one would believe me if I said that, right? No one would believe this guy. Verse 19, here's our next party pooper. <laughs> Thank you. Needed that affirmation. 
I bought five yoke of oxen, and I must go to examine them. Check them out. Have me excused. Bailey says it doesn't hold up because you don't buy oxen in this time of day or this time of um, the world in the first century in Jesus' day without giving it a test drive first. You don't buy a used car without driving it first. At least you shouldn't. Um, that's the deal. You just wouldn't believe it. And third, we could spend a whole sermon on this, couldn't we, in verse 20? Final party pooper, maybe the worst of all. I've married a wife, so I can't come. Have me excuse. Here's what Bailey says. A lot of stuff we could say. It's basically like you have this controlling, nagging wife in the back of the house who won't let you like go out and be friends with people and like do your job. It's misogyny. It doesn't hold up. It's insulting. And we've all made excuses like this. Like, I've gotten so good at weaseling my way out of stuff that I don't want to do. You know what the best excuse is? Annie Patrick. Annie Patrick, my ninth-month-year-old angel daughter, who hopefully is sound asleep right now. Um, We're good at this, but I want to say this. If we're honest with ourselves, when we make these excuses, it's really another way of saying this. Two things. I don't want to be at your party. I don't like the list of people you've invited. And I'm full. I don't need your food. That's the deal. That's what's going on here. I'm fine. Thanks. But no thanks. That's what's happening. That's what's underneath these lame excuses. And I want you to see that. But with God's party, you just get in by wanting to be with the host, by being hungry and thirsty. If you notice, it's the crippled, blind, and lame who get in on God's feast. It's marginalized people. It's not the Pharisees and the tax collectors. It's marginalized people. Those are the ones who actually get in. The Pharisees, they're fine. They look at their spiritual resume and say, I kept the law. The Apostle Paul used to say that. I'm fine. I don't need your food. And the lawyers he's telling the story would also, they have a, a, like they had all the internships, right? They don't need Jesus' plan for their life. I'm fine. I don't need your meal. And Jesus is saying, you think you know who's going to be at my party? I'm going to flip that upside down because my kingdom is upside down in a fallen world. The way up is down. You want to find your life? Lose it. You want to get on the party? Give up your resume building. Come and eat. Stop this game. Try, stop trying to get your own food for yourself. And the, the party poopers are simply those who are turning Jesus down. And he essentially says, you don't need me. You don't need me. If you're full, there's not a lot Jesus can do for you. One, my friend Jordan says this, our, our, uh, our friend at UT Austin. If you're hearing anything tonight, I want you to hear this, okay? Jesus is saying that the good news, how you get in, of Christian gospel is that you don't get to be reunited with God or close to God by embracing God's laws, but by embracing Jesus. You get into God's feast. You don't bring anything or do anything or pay anything. You just bring yourself. You understand yourself to be poor and needy apart from God, but also deeply loved and desired by God. You understand that God wants nothing more as this yearning host to feast with you that his house might be filled. You show up, friends, by grace, empty hands. Let's eat and be satisfied. The offer is free. It's right there. No strings attached. Eat it. Take it. It's yours, and it's that simple. Why there's a party in the first place. 
Why is there a party in the first place? Who, how, and why? C.S. Lewis has this wonderful phrase in this speech that he gave called the inner ring. Have you heard of this phrase? The inner ring. Here's what the inner ring is. When we're in larger groups like this, we hate the feeling of not belonging and feeling like we're on the outside. So what do we do? We create smaller circles and rings of people so that we feel more included. So we create these niche, smaller groups so we can feel on the inside. We do this all the time. We do this all the time. And so what we actually do, we do in throwing parties, we throw parties to exclude others. That's just like what happens. To exclude others. God doesn't throw parties that way. He throws parties to include others. Not to make the circle smaller, but to widen the circle. Remember? Who's invited? Everybody. Everybody. Look at verse 21 again. Notice the circles widening in this story. The host of the banquet, he tells us, widen the circles. Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes. You forgot those spots. Bring everyone you can find. Servant comes back again. There's still room, though. Verse 23, he says, no, 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 no. You missed that spot. You missed that spot. What's happening? Widening the circle. The circle is growing and growing. The party is getting bigger and bigger because he is like a manic host who will not rest until all of his children, all of his sheep are at his table that are in his fold. He won't stop. And that's you. The primary posture of God's relationship to us is God invading our space to bring us home. Remember the prodigal son parable right after this in Luke 15. What does the father do when he sees the long lost son coming home to the big barbecue? He runs out to him. That is the posture of the gospel. You don't clean yourself up to get to the table. He cleans you up with his blood and now you're reconciled and you feast and you eat and you drink with him. So why there's a party in the first place? To widen the circle. Why do you think God created the world? He created the world as one author puts it. God was having a good time and he just wants to share it. I love that. Creation. Did y'all see the sun set tonight? God having a good time and wants us to experience it. He's got to share it. The beauty of creation. He's itching to share his goodness with us. That his house might be filled. He created the world because of this. God and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they were fine without us. Fine. He didn't need the world. He did it to share his abundance, to share his life, that we might find it in him. So when we create parties, we don't want to widen it. We want to shrink it. Smaller circle. The Pharisees threw parties to keep Gentiles out. Social elite folks like lawyers and Pharisees threw parties to keep the riffraff out, like Samaritan women. God's banquet hall is Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, men and women, prostitutes and Pharisees. This is who he interacted with. This is the kingdom. That's who's welcome. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, right here, right now. Hear me loud and clear. 
there's a lot of there's a lot to say about applying this passage to everyday life. I want to say three things, and I want to talk about my favorite movie of all time, and we're done, okay? And I'm going to give this guy, Greg Thompson, credit for this, because I was listening to a lecture that he did on Christian hospitality, pulling from this passage, okay? So these are his terms, but we're going to apply them. First is this. We got a, this passage inviting us to embrace this first thing. God is a yearning host. God is a yearning host. Do you see God that way? Do you see how manic he is? My house has got to be full. You miss these spots. Like, come, come, all, all. Go widen the circle out. He wants you. Do you see him that way? Or is he emotionally distant? And he's this angry football coach watching your every move. And if you make one mistake, you're off the team. Is that God? Like, so many people, I say this often, our parents, so much of college is y'all processing the beauty and brokenness of your household that you grew up in. And what a lot of, of y'all are going to learn, you love your parents, your parents hurt you. Your parents aren't perfect. And your relationship with your parents informs the way that you relate to God. We all have the daddy and mommy issues, and God is, like, taking a lot of it for it. Like, I have all kinds of issues with God. I'm prone to wander away from him all kinds of ways because of my relationship with my parents. I know I'm not alone in this room, okay? How do you see God? I want to invite you to see here tonight that God is a yearning host. Come home. Be with me. And like, my, like that, the second thing is this. you got to see yourself as his desired guest. You are his desired guest. Do you see yourself that way? Or do you see yourself as dirty because of what you've done in your past with sexual sin and all these addictions with alcohol and drugs that you can't stop? Maybe it's a miracle that you even came here tonight because of all the shame that you're experiencing because you feel so dirty. Let me say this to you, friends. Jesus' blood can wash away your sins. Why? Because you're his desired guest. He wants you. His heart throbs for you to be home with him. You're his desired guest. You know who else is his desired guest? The person sitting on your right tonight and the person sitting on your left tonight. And everybody out there, God desires to have intimate communion with him. The world, to widen the circle. We are his desired guests. And so many of y'all are going to be surrounded by more people than you've ever experienced in your life for these four years, and many of y'all will feel so utterly lonely inside. Maybe that's you tonight. Orientation, great. I love my RAs. I love all these things at Wofford. I'm, I'm not cool in here. Is that you? But everybody at Wofford's fine. I'm fine. I'm so busy. No. Yep. We're not fine, and that's okay. And whether you feel at home here tonight or at Wofford College, you are at home with Jesus, and he wants you with him. You're his desired guest, and so is your neighbor. Yes, your neighbor who you're allergic to. In that other fraternity, in that other sorority, sorority, can't talk tonight, in that other area of campus that you're allergic to. Desired guest. Last thing is this. Christians are his, are his gathering servants. His gathering servants. So you see the servants going everywhere. Come and eat, come and eat, come and eat. That's a great picture of Christian hospitality. Seniors, let me get practical with you all for a second. Y'all have like the most amazing living situation right over there, 
love your apartments, love your porches. What would it look like this year to extend the hospitality of God to everybody around you? What would it look like? Gathering servants. What are you saying when you invite someone into your own? Come and eat. Come and feast. Why are you doing that? Because I've eaten and feasted with Jesus. So I just got to open my house up. I can't help but open my house up because this is what he did with me. Seniors can chew on that for uh, the whole year. But that's the calling of the church and Christians in general, y'all, to go to every corner of creation and say, I have eaten a meal that has changed my life with Jesus, and I want you to eat it. Let's go. Let's go to church. Let's go to RUF. Let's go. Let's go eat. I'm hungry, too. I know you're hungry. Okay? Yearning host, desired guest, gathering servants. Here's my movie. It's called Babette's Feast. Babette's Feast. Here's the movie. Babette's Feast takes place around the French Civil War on this coastal town in France. And there's this small parish community, and there's a pastor who is really legalistic and kind of grumpy, but he's a faithful pastor of the community. He's got two adult daughters. Eventually, the pastor passes away and hands over the keys to the village and the parish to his adult daughters. And they've got their work cut out for them in this community because they're really grumpy and legalistic and they're grieving because their pastor just died, so they're in pain. This random lady named Babette shows up. She's fleeing French Civil War. Her husband died. She lost her kids. She shows up and she says, I need a job. I need shelter. I'm a cook. Can I cook for y'all? The adult daughters say, yes, Babette, bring it on. Let's do this. I'm going to give you a job, give you shelter. Then Babette's life changed forever because of this thing that happened to her. She wins the French lottery. Babette wins the French lottery. And on the one hand, these adult daughters are really excited about this. They're like, oh, Babette needed a win. She needed a win. She's going to go create a life for herself, and we want that for her. But on the other hand, they're really disappointed, and they're grieving this. Like, they've grown to love Babette and her food. Here's what Babette does with her money. She takes all of her money from the French lottery to spend on ingredients and sous chefs from France to come to her kitchen to host an entire meal from scratch for the entire village. That's what she does. And the magic happens when Babette gets in the kitchen and she's holding court, holding court, meticulously loving the community by chopping the onions, by giving her time. There's like turtles in the kitchen. I don't even know what they're eating. Y'all just got to watch it. But it's so meticulous in how she is caring for the community. And then they show up. And if y'all have ever experienced like a four or five course meal, you know it's so abundant where you have to like carve out two or three hours. Like we're not going to be out here. We're going to be here for a while, right? You might have had a meal like that for graduation or celebrating some milestone. This is that kind of meal. She keeps refilling the glasses. She keeps bringing more food out. Just course after course after course, and these grieving people that are so hurt and bitter begin to smile and laugh, and estranged people who were once friends are estranged. They're reconciled at the table, and you see it, and they're talking to each other, 
And they're laughing and they're crying and they're remembering their pastor. These disgruntled, grieving old folks become children at this meal again. That's what happens. And why can that happen? Because of the self-sacrificial love of this little lady named Babette. That's why it happened. The self-sacrificial love made the meal possible. And do I even have to tell you, friends, that the... Let me tell you. (laughs) Yes, I'll tell you. The only way that we have access to this meal is if the self-sacrificial blood of Jesus cleanses us. We can't eat with him. We can't eat with him unless we're washed. Unless someone else's resume is given to us and we just receive it as a gift and eat it and receive it. And here's the thing, there's no other meal like it. There's no other party around. You won't want to go anywhere else or eat with anyone else when you've eaten with him. And that's how they were talking at that meal with Babette. They were changed. The guy from the French War stands up, rings his glass, and this is what he says. There comes a time when your eyes are open. And remember everything they experienced at this meal. There comes a time when your eyes are open and we come to realize that mercy is infinite. We need only await it with confidence and receive it with gratitude because mercy imposes no conditions. For mercy and truth have met together tonight and righteousness and bliss shall kiss together. Jesus is the host. He yearns for you. You are his desired guest. Let's eat and be satisfied with RUF in the fall of 2021. Let me pray.